Hello, I'm Mallory Rubin. And I'm Van Lathan. Check out the Ringerverse podcast from The Ringer for all things superhero movies, nerd culture, and fandom entertainment. We have instant reviews and fun takes on all the latest news and more available now on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com, Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Chaos League time. The chaos. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast Ringer FC. I'm Musa Kwonga. I'm Ryan Hun. Ryan, how are you doing? I am good, thanks, man. How are you? Very well indeed. Uh, I need to tell you something. What's that? It finally happened. Oh, what's that? So after we posted everything for Monday's podcast, I put my jacket on, fired up some tunes, put my headphones in, went for a little walk, crossing the street in my neighbourhood, <laughs> oh God, okay, yeah. And okay. a gentleman approached me and said, are you Ryan? <laughs> I bumped into a Stadio listener. Incredible, he found you. <laughs> uh, shouts to Felix, lovely guy. Just crossing the road, had a little brief chat. Oh, that's so cool. Mutual friend as well, which is nice. But yeah, there you go. So we can stop talking about it now because it's happened. <laughs> <laughs> So funny. The moment of recognition. Oh no, what have I done? It's like... <laughs> it's me you, being super proud right. of it. And Moose is just like, um, bumped into right? three this morning. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, shouts to Felix. Lovely. All right, Felix. Let's, let's do some admin quick. Let's do it. Right, his house went up on Wednesday. Flo joined Ian to chat to Jill Rod, former Arsenal, current Wolfsburg and Netherlands player. It was a really good episode. They also talked a little bit about Leah Williamson becoming England captain for the upcoming Euros. That's on the Ringer FC feed now. Other bits of admin, you were on another podcast quickly. Shout it out. Yeah. Fire These Times with Jerry Ayoub and Justin Salhani. Uh, we talked about sports washing, or as I'm starting to call it, death insurance um, at the World Cup in Qatar. Prior to that, the background political context. Yeah. So the Fire These Times, Jerry Ayoub and Justin Salhani are both excellent follows on Twitter. If you're yes, on Twitter, so please check them out. Um, check the ringer.com. All the other pods on there. I've been really enjoying, and I've shouted out a few times, but I've been really enjoying the Ringerverse Moon Knight catch-ups. Really good. Other than that, Stadio Outro's playlist on Spotify. And if you do listen to us on a podcast app that allows you to rate and review, please do so. Be very kind. And 
the most important admin of all. We hope everyone's staying safe and well wherever you are in the world. And obviously, getting that booster if you can. So today, as you may have guessed, we're going to talk about the Champions League. We are. So let's get into it. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, man. So I know that there was so much drama this week, but if it's okay with you, I'd actually like to begin with in Munich because I think that from the results of the whole round, Villarreal going through against Bayern over two legs through to the semifinals, the first semifinal under Unai Emery, the first semifinal since they've faced Arsenal back in the day in the Champions League. Oh, six, yeah. And in terms of an actual result, this was by far the most seismic of the round. Hmm. This was actually quite similar as a tie. I think we mentioned it last week. Bayern were lucky against Salzburg to take a draw back to Munich. Yes. And actually in this tie, Bayern were quite lucky that the tie was only 1-0 at the halfway stage. Absolutely right. Yeah. Villarreal really could have capitalised on more chances that they had Mm. in the first leg. And in the second leg, I think we expressed maybe that, you know, they could have got the Salzburg treatment. However, I think that they were a side that was a lot more capable of dealing with Bayern threats than Salzburg were. They absorbed extreme pressure in the second leg, I would say. Yeah. Extreme pressure. Um, you're right, they handled this, I mean, supreme, just looking to completed passes over 500 for Bayern and under 200 for Villarreal. So some idea of the balance of play. And Leroy Sané finally delivering the level of performance that you just expect from someone of that quality was absolutely superb in this game. Uh, it was extremely dangerous. But they absorbed that pressure so well, Villarreal. They absorbed it so well. Um, one thing I want to say about this game very quickly too is this has implications for Argentina's World Cup campaign because you now have, you had really um, Foyth and Lo Celso starting for Villarreal who are going to be part of that Argentina World Cup squad and they were extremely impressive. And you're, at, you're now seeing, I think Argentina are going to send such a battle-hardened squad to that World Cup. They're going to be so difficult to break down and beat because, you know, Bayern, I will give them some credit, they threw... They threw a lot at Villarreal. Mm. But what's so impressive about Villarreal is their ability just to take this thing out of games, mm. to absorb pressure. Parejo and Capu, like in midfield, just unbelievable. And Dan Juma breaking really well just to take the pressure off. So, yeah, this Villarreal, this is what you call, there's a classic, you know, what it, I know I mentioned Red Star all the time and it's embarrassing how much I mentioned Red Star Belgrade, but there was an element of Red Star Belgrade in in the breakaway goal. And there was something about the way they absorbed pressure that felt very much a kind of like, this felt like a very old school, mid nineties, mid 1990s Champions League victory on the road, if that makes sense. From Villarreal? Yeah. In a good, yeah, in, the, in the best I mean, possible. Well, yeah, well yeah. It, it technically wasn't a victory though. It was a draw. Much like the, uh, the, the Real Madrid-Chelsea game. You know, Real Madrid didn't win that game. Chelsea you know won this, the game. This felt like a win. It felt like a chance. You know what I'm still in the... Well, I the, mean, because when you go through, it's yeah. going to feel like a win no matter what the result but is. But I'm still in the but, away goals yeah. frame. I'm still in the away goals frame of mind. Yeah, but even if it was away goals, Musa, they still wouldn't have won the That's, game. Yeah, I know. But we're, you're being that Listen, guy. You're being that guy. You're being, that, being guy that guy. You're being that guy. You're being that guy. Debate me. 
Debate Let's me. Let's go on yes. LBC and debate Wait. me. I think the thing about Bayern is that I saw Jasmine Baba post a bit of a, an analysis on the, the lineup and the selection. And I agree with her in the sense that it really looked like Nagelsmann had tried to kind of unleash wave after wave on VRL early on, try and mm. get Bayern ahead in the tie and then switch to a more balanced, maybe not conservative, but controlling kind of system. Mm. And I think that when, when Bayern didn't get that early breakthrough, I think it, it started to look not particularly great for them. Yeah. There were a couple of moments from Bayern that were just so, what's the word? So telling and in the, you know, Lewandowski scores after halftime, wonderful goal, super clinical, basically exactly what we'd expect from Lewandowski. He's the Champions League top scorer this season Mm. so far. But then Thomas Muller had that one chance to make it 2-0, which for him was almost just like nailed on. I think Nagelsmann actually afterwards said, yeah, Thomas has got to score there. He could have brought it down. He had so much time, he could have brought it down. And Nagelsmann did say afterwards that tactically they got it right, which I thought was quite pointed in the sense that he's not completely wrong. Like they had enough there in terms of control, in terms of opportunities to see off Villarreal. They did. But this is a Bayern that occasionally we've seen a few times this season when they're not as clinical as we've as we've seen them before. And I wonder whether there's a little bit of complacency that comes into that. And because of the league as well. When the draw was announced, yeah. when the draw was announced, Villarreal, they must have thought we're in the semis. I mean, they did. Salah Hamasic basically was on Bayern TV and kind of giggling with the presenter about the draw. And I think Villarreal cottoned on to that. Yeah, it wasn't a comment about it from one of the players actually. Yeah, Danny Parejo, he said this amazing thing where he said, you know, when you spit up in the air, it comes back on your face or something like that. I mean, brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think for he, he was one of VRL's great performers over the, over the two legs. And then the goal actually to, to win the tie, to draw level in the game. That was incredible. The way he built that. Came on as a substitute, but, but the, the counter-attack, because the, the move started on the edge of Bayern's box. And the way that Parejo built it, yes, with the change of direction, that is that, that change of direction by Parejo when he got possession in his own third and he was facing out to the left, checks inside to the right and then looks up and rolls the pass. You know, it was the- quick, Moreno, right? That was incredible. Do you know what that reminded me of? Um, I think it was Lo Celso. He laid it to Lo Celso. Okay. Um, but Moreno laid the assist, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, absolutely. So when he was constructing the first person, he laid it into his Oh yeah, sorry. Lo Celso made, played that ball down the left-hand side to, to Moreno. Moreno then crosses it in for Chukwueze. Absolutely. It reminded me of the goal in the Classico when Bo- Busquets on the edge of the box mm. and step, like basically loses Modric on the edge of his own box. It's incredible. And then rolls yeah. the ball into the space that Modric has vacated for Rakitic to break and they end up scoring the other end Barcelona. It was the same level of playmaking. It was that good. It's that good. Um, well, they call it in, uh, was it the pausa? They call it in, uh, in Spain, yeah. the hesitation, the hesitation. And so Moreno squares it after getting from the Celso and the finish from Chukwese, which they noted on. Now this- Bounces it into the floor. This is a deliberate, this is the one. I think it's deliberate. It's deliberate yeah. because but the genius of the finishes, he's like, first of all, I've been watching Chukwese for a while. Like he's a brilliant player and super smart, right? Mm. It's the kind of thing he would do like at that moment. And if it's not deliberate, then- you would go for the far corner. The angle he was coming in, you go for the far corner, right? Or you, or you go to the near post. And he knew Neuer was coming in and he had to get over him. It's one of the great finishes, actually. You know, yeah, considering in terms the of trajectory, yeah. in yeah. terms of trajectory, it's really hard to just get that kind of trajectory 
into the into the top part of the near post from that angle of that pass on your left foot. Yeah. And also Neuer is is Neuer spreads himself quite wide in situations like that. You see him quite often he will drop to his knees and make himself big or mm. take like a really wide stance. And I, I genuinely think that he knows or he studied, well, I mean, I, it wouldn't surprise me if, if he studied Neuer's positioning on one-on-ones. Yes. And low star shapes. Yeah. Look, yeah. yeah. That's yeah. exactly it. And it completely just, that trajectory just completely bamboozles Neuer. You're, you're so programmed to expect a certain trajectory of yeah. a strike or a certain kind of strike in a, in a, in a one-on-one finish, I think, that it's very, very hard to react you don't expect takes, it at all. You're essentially creating your own deflection. It's one, yeah, exactly. Very well said. It's one of the few things in football where you watch and go, that is generally the kind of thing only a professional football can pull off. Mm. It's generally because the, the, the type of technique you need for that is, is, is elite, actually. The first mm. time I ever saw it was Van Basten doing it against Fodger or something. I remember going, nah, like, and then the only reason I believed it was possible is because it was Van Basten. So when I look at the player doing it, I look at the technique of the player and I'm like, yeah, that's just the kind of thing you'd pull off. So yeah, yeah, great, great finish um, for them. That was it. Saw them through to the semi-final. Shout out to Unai Emery because the management of this tie, the management of this tie, it would have been very, very easy for a team to get despondent after the 1-0 and kind of go away and not, not bat in the hatches, but sort of to lose intensity. But the way they actually attacked, they had a couple of good opportunities for Villarreal, even with Bayern against them. And just so much credit to Emery for steering them through this knockout stage, getting to the semis, and, you know, he's been criticised for many things, but his sort of, I don't know if you call it a redemptive arc, that's a, that's a bit, it's a bit strong, but just really great to see him proving, not proving, confirming, just reminding everyone like just why he's such a respected coach. Yeah, we had a few questions and one of them was from Arnolfo Aguirre, who said, are Arsenal fans to blame for Unai Emery's sacking after that performance against Bayern? Were Arsenal fans too impatient? And I think this was a common thing that you saw floating around Twitter, which I mean, is is Twitter, right? So, Mm. but my take on Unai Emery has always been, seems like a really good guy. Seemed like he really cared. Seemed like he took that Arsenal job with a huge amount of respect for the position that he was in, in terms of following on from a legacy manager like Arsene Wenger. I think in terms of who was available at the time, it made quite a lot of sense in terms of profile that Arsenal would go for someone like Unai Emery. In terms of the specific brief as well, mm. I can understand it while also understanding that I don't think it was actually a fit. The fit is the word. I'm glad you said that word. That's exactly it. Fit is the key. This is something that we've seen at a num- numerous places. Like, you know, I mean, you take Monchi, for example, at Sporting Director. Incredible Sporting Director. Goes to Roma, really doesn't work. Goes back to Sevilla, works again. Right. You know, there are just certain places that people feel able to work. And I think for Unai Emery, I think he was treated quite disrespectfully by a number of fans and a number of, not necessarily just Arsenal fans, but also certain people within the media because of the communication aspect. But Mm. this was a guy who turned up for his first press conference and attempted to the best of his ability to answer as much of it in English, despite Mm. clearly being new to learning the language. That takes a huge, huge amount of bravery actually mm, yeah, because communication as a manager especially when you're coming after someone like Arsene Wenger I think we've talked about this before so I'm going to keep it brief because I know we're repeating but Arsene Wenger was such an elite communicator mm. his reputation probably would have benefited from 
doing the Bielsa and the first yep. season Pochettino route by just having having a translator there and just creating that barrier. I think he tried his best. I don't think he was the best fit. I don't think he's a dreadful manager at all. I think he's a very, very, very accomplished coach. And I think you're seeing this back at Villarreal. And I'm personally just very, very happy for him because I think he got a lot of quite unnecessary and nasty shit thrown at him when he was at Arsenal. And the two things can be true. He might not have been the great fit and he might not have been the best Arsenal manager. But still, I think that it really strayed into some some territory that I just never really liked or felt comfortable with. Yeah. However, just because he's now got to the Champions League with Villarreal, that doesn't mean that Arteta is a fraud and Arsenal should have kept him. Right, absolutely. That can all be that can all that can all be true. I think the key, what I would say about this is it is about putting respect on his name. That I think can be said safely. You have to respect someone that defeats this Bayern team over two legs. You just have to. It you is what it to. is. Yeah. Yeah. Um so congrats to Villarreal. Congrats to Unai Emery. Let's talk about Bayern very, very quickly, a couple of minutes before we move on. We had a question from Sleeping Nail who said, is Nagelsmann in trouble at Bayern? Even Kovac at least won the double in his first season. No, because we said this would be a difficult season for Bayern. There was a lot to do. There was a lot of transition. There's a lot they had to do. And actually, if his primary brief was to deliver the league, which would have been, I think it's unrespecific, what's the word? Um, it's unreasonable to expect a Champions League in Nagelsmann's first season given the quality of the front runners in the Champions League. He's there. He's probably going to win the league there. That's par for the course. Um, they're out of the cup. That was a terrible defeat to Gladbach, but Gladbach had been streaky as hell. I think... You, but they you take, also had a, a really bad defeat in the cup last season to Holstein Kiel, so... Right, so you take the league and you move. You take the league and you move. Uh, this is, I think, a, a slightly subpar season, I would say, for a manager of Nagelsmann's talents. But that also reflects the state that Bayern was in. Bayern was not in the easiest state when he took control. That has to be understood. He had to integrate new players. He's losing others. So yeah, I don't think his job is in trouble. He's one of the most talented young coaches in world football. Yeah, I do think that there's a, there's potential for it to be a little bit more rocky over the next season or two with Bayern. They've got a lot of players who are out of contract to the end of next season. They've yeah. got a lot of players who will probably leave because they either want a new challenge or they want to get paid and they, they can't do that at Bayern. They, you know, Bayern are very much in the kind of like, I don't know, when all of your draft picks are coming up for the first max contract, you can't pay them all. Yeah. There's been a lot of rumours about Lewandowski wanting to go to Barcelona, potentially this summer. Uh, Serge Gnabry doesn't look close to signing a new contract. Obviously, Nikola Zula is moving to Dortmund in the summer. Dio Upamecano hasn't hit the level of the peak time at Leipzig. I think the back end of his time at Leipzig was was a little bit wobbly. And uh, Hernandez is still very much a question mark for the amount that they paid for him. You know, he's by far and away Bayern's record signing. And Benjamin Pavard is not, I don't think, has not turned into the level of right back that you would expect Bayern to have. Yep, he's regressed, if anything, yeah. Yeah, so there, are, there is a lot to fix at Bayern and also at executive level as well. I think at executive level, it's not rosy there. Salah Hamadzic, I think, has come under quite a lot of pressure. 
and a lot Much of, of it self-imposed. A lot of it self-imposed. I also think that Oliver Kahn taking over as CEO is has not been unanimously popular or successful so far. There's a little bit too much noise at Bayern, but there is a big wave of these of these players. I think Neuer and Müller and all of these players are also potentially out of contract as well. And I think that you, there is definitely a rebuild and a reboot coming. They're kind of in between the two at the moment. And that I think you've seen that in some of the erratic nature of their play this season and some of the erratic results. I wonder if Nagelsmann was actually employed for the rebuild. I wonder yeah, if- I think and, that's and, that, and so that might be, I think in terms of assessing him, the time to assess actually may not be this season. I think it's the next couple of seasons he'll be judged on. And rightly so, I think. Mm. Uh, before we move on to the other game, should we just quickly shout out Liverpool going through against Benfica? Because yeah, absolutely. I think this was so, I think this was quite a, uh, I, this was just kind of pretty much as I expected this game to be maybe with Benfica scoring a few more goals. Benfica stood tall. Yeah, but also Liverpool heavily rotated. They've got a massive game at the weekend against City again. They had right. a massive game at the weekend just gone against City. I think a lot of people were trying to push Klopp for for a little bit of spice after the game. And he was just like, we're into the semi-finals of the Champions League. I did, what was that amazing line he said? If when I'm not happy about that, come and knock me out. <laughs> Good luck knocking, knocking Klopp out. Yeah, and also like, just also I said this before, like shout out to Benfica. Um, I know that Liverpool did rotate, but they did show out. You yeah. know, you go away from Anfield with a three-all draw. Like I know there was rotation, but it's still Anfield. Yeah, this was one of those kind of like glorious draws that everyone was happy. Yeah, teams have gone there and got absolutely coated with a substandard Liverpool team. So not not substandard, but like a, a largely second string. Canate scoring again, which is quite nice for him because his mistake in the first round put, um, the first leg put uh, Liverpool in a bit of trouble after his goal. Um, so it's nice for him to kind of, to square that circle. And Ramos with a beautiful finish and Darwin Nunes adding to his catalogue of fine finishes and surely boosting his eventual sale value a couple of seasons down the line. Um, there was an amazing so yeah. stat about Kanate. I need to find it one sec. Uh, from Michael Reed, Ibrahima Kanate is the first player to score both of his first two goals for Liverpool in different matches, but against the same opponent since Vergard Hegem against Middlesbrough in 98-99. Oh my God, that's wild. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Great love player, Hagen. Great player. I love stats like that. That semi-final against Villarreal, I think it's going to be really fun. I mean, Liverpool will be aware, should be aware that Villarreal can win the entire thing. I think this is the thing. I mean, need I mean to this be is, yeah, this is interesting because I think Klopp, Klopp is not, Klopp is, Klopp is not going to disrespect a side who have eliminated Juve and then Bayern in back-to-back rounds. He's not. He's absolutely not. And right. nor should he. Um, but yeah, I think as we'll touch on the City Atleti or the Atleti City game in a minute, I think that I, I really enjoy, I find intri- it really intriguing to see two sides that play very different ways go mm. up against each other in the Champions yeah. League. Um, but yeah, uh, let's take a quick break and then we'll do all of the drama. Let's do it. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, man, because I think it was most recent, do you think we should start at the Wanda? Yeah, actually, yes, we should, because actually I don't want to leave the podcast with a bitter taste. Ooh. I'd rather, yeah, I'd rather end with Chelsea Real Madrid because this, this left a slightly bitter taste. Um, so yeah, let's start it with did, it. It did, yeah, let's start I think you're it. right. Nil-nil draw at the Wanda. So Man City go through 1-0 on aggregate. Um, go on, you can start. Well, um, Atleti came out very differently um, out to the, how they did in the in the first leg and the, the first 20 minutes, but we knew they would. And the first 20 minutes of this match was more interesting than the entire 90 that we saw in the first leg. And that was by design. One thing Atleti maybe didn't get enough credit for in the first leg was how well they shifted the ball out of defence on occasion and pressed forward. And some of their attacking play in this game was really enterprising and impressive and really quite enjoyable and, and had City in... I would say a fair bit of trouble where they shifted the ball through midfield. Um, Thomas Lamar looked, you know, really quite good. Um, he's a player that I've always looked to. Uh, when's going to have his breakout moment? It, it's not coming. He's just a good, a good playmaker. Again, I think missing Carrasco as a starter, which um, made them lack a bit of thrust. And I've always, I've always been a bit ambivalent about Urente playing as a right wing back because I feel you get more as an inside as an interior but he added some really good attacking threat and Joao Felix as well just finding you know dangerous pockets um, he's been brilliant recently for Atleti as well Joao Felix he has, he's, he has. he's on probably the richest fame I think it's the he's on the best goal scoring form that he's been at since he's been there yeah so he doesn't get he doesn't mm. get um, as much of the possession as, as he should uh, but he still managed to be very efficient with it so yeah, Atleti were a new proposition, but, but Pep knew this. Guardiola knew what was coming. And this is the thing. It's credit to City that they played their game. And I have to say this as well. I love that Guardiola has just absolutely normalised playing three midfielders as a front three or three midfielders or sort of, you know, or, or no strikers. The fact that that's just an absolutely normal thing tactically and that you have players like Phil Foden who it will come to him in a moment, holding the ball high up the pitch, drawing fouls, and actually, like, I have to say this, rattling Atleti. It's mm. not often you see Atleti... Yeah, they were completely rattled. It's not often you see Atleti forced to lose control in their own context, playing their own game. You know, but, but it's funny because Pep, you might say that um, Atleti play largely regressive, frustrating football. And I would say that Man City play largely progressive, frustrating football. And I've just, I've just never seen Atleti that frustrated before. <laughs> Atleti were fined before the game for a certain certain amount of fans showing some Nazi salutes in the game last week, I think. Mm. As well as the Champions League anthem getting booed, the taking the knee was getting booed, which is something we've talked about that happens at Atleti, bef- uh, that's ha- happened at Atleti before. And something that we've mentioned numerous times that there is a large portion of that fan base that is extremely right wing. Some of the stuff that I saw about Atleti was just like, yeah, they don't play this way all the time. Mm. actually and actually over the last couple of years like I've actually seen more variation in the way that they play 
not necessarily game by game, but as a maybe as a whole sample size than quite a lot of other top teams in Europe because we've talked about this quite a lot, how Atleti kind of opened up a little bit in that title winning season and then they had injuries in COVID and they kind of panicked a little bit and they tried to go back to the old school way. It had already kind of felt like they'd pushed on a little bit too much to really tap into that mindset again. And a lot of the players who were from those vintage shithouse Atleti teams weren't really there anymore. Mm. They have by far the best squad in La Liga. Well, they did at the beginning of the season. I think Barcelona have closed the gap in terms of a squad, but I still don't think they I still think Atleti have the best squad. They've underperformed in the league this season. They've underperformed in a lot of key games. They have been quite frustrating because they haven't utilised the attacking tools. But I also think that tearing into Atleti in this tie in particular, we'll talk about what happened at the end separately. I'm talking about purely from a t- tactical point of view. Mm-hmm. I think it's quite, is a little bit harsh because, yeah, they're not underdogs. Man City aren't playing Freiburg. Right. Atleti do have a large amount of revenue, but there's still a huge gap between Atleti and the very, very pinnacle of European clubs in terms of revenue. There's a little bit of column A and a little bit of column B. And I think if you combine quite a lot of the theory together, you kind of get somewhere near the truth. Mm. And actually, I, you know, Miguel Delaney wrote a piece for The Independence today, which I think was quite a good summary. Of everything, the entire of context. Everything. Yeah, I thought yeah. so, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think you would expect more from Atleti over the last year. Well, not over the last year because they won the league, but I think in, in, I think in Europe over the last couple of seasons, you've seen quite a prime example of what we've talked about with Simeone is that he kind of gets stuck. You know, it's like you have all these ingredients in front of you. I'm going to use a Musa Akwanga cooking analogy. You've got all of these ingredients in front of you <laughs> that you could make a super intricate, beautiful, high-end meal. You know, lots of volume on the plate like they like in MasterChef. They like volume. Yes. <laughs> height. They want a bit of height to the plate. However, there is a can of beans there. So you just make beans on toast. <laughs> you know, even though you could do the rest of it because yes, keep it pragmatic. Exact, you know exactly. You make a killer beans on toast, so you're going to do it. Um. So yeah, I think basically what I'm trying to say is I no I no think the biggest I I, I think I, go on. I was going to use an, so the volume right. There's a pre remember that preseason match when Atleti absolutely destroyed Real Madrid like six one or something. Yeah. And that was the moment. That was the volume moment. I think that it scared was, them. That was, yes, that was the expansive. And I saw that and thought, my goodness, Joao mm. Felix in behind Costa, of course, fitness was a challenge, but that configuration, Joao Felix, second striker in behind a roving direct night, like a Darwin Nunez, for example, mm. this is the Atleti that is the evolution. I saw that and I was like, wow, that's the future. And I think Simeone is afraid to embrace it because the moment yeah, the season started, yeah, 100%. 100%. Yeah. But what I mean by that is all of that criticism is completely valid of Atleti. Yeah, yeah. However, absolutely bashing them for doing that over two legs against Manchester City, that's not the one. <clears throat> for me, the results in, some of the results in the group stages, like the Milan game, deserves more criticism than playing this way against Manchester City over two legs. Because as we talked about with Real Madrid, the PSG tie, it's two legs just hanging the tie. Real Madrid hung in the tie against PSG and they punished them in the second leg. And what Atleti tried to do here while I don't think it was executed to absolute perfection, Atleti were a goal behind in a two-legged tie in their own ground with 45 minutes left. And you saw, I, I, I wrote a tweet about that variation thing and I think actually this game was quite a prime example of it because you saw 
Early stages of the game, Atleti had a flat line of five at the back. In the last 15, 20 minutes, they had a, line, a flat line of five at the front. Now, you would, you, I totally get the arguments that some people might say, yeah, but they were chasing the game at that point. Yeah, they were, but they'd shifted momentum to the point where even Pep said, like, City were in trouble and City were really in trouble for a little bit. And then again, absolutely valid, Atleti become the architects of their own downfall by implementing tactics that they usually do when they're a goal up, they absolutely fucked it for themselves. Yeah. Going back to the beginning as well, like Felipe should have been booked for the thing on Foden. He was absolutely correctly sent off for that. But then also Foden rolling back onto the pitch was absolutely genius because A, if it doesn't kick off, he's on the pitch anyway, so you have to have a stoppage. Mm. And it just killed all the momentum dead. But the fact that Atleti completely lost it this is why I actually don't believe that they are the masters of shithousery anymore at all because no. masters of shithousery channel it and they wouldn't lose it there. I'm glad Absolutely. you said that. Yeah. Do you know I, I genuinely, genuinely yeah. think that Manchester City are smarter at implementing... Grealish, Grealish outsmarted Savage and didn't even come on the pitch. Exactly. Over two legs, Grealish psychologically dominated Savage. Yeah. He, he did it. Like, yeah. This is where I think Atleti deserve quite a lot of criticism because the stuff that happened after that They'd got themselves into a position where they very realistically could have taken that game to extra time. Should have, I think. And actually, they had the chances to score definitely one, maybe two. Yeah, yeah, I agree. No control. Kenny Shields needs to look at this game. As many people have said, emotional men, too emotional. Too emotional. They were being too emotional and they, they undid it for themselves. But they, but they have this narrative. They still have this narrative. I know I've been talking for a while, sorry. But they have this narrative that comes from the early 2010s when Simeone had taken them far beyond anyone thought that he would ever be able to take them when he took over. And I think this is why Simeone gets so much leeway at Atleti. He is essentially their Wenger. So what I'm saying is Atleti, absolutely valid criticism. Atleti choked on their own testosterone. They choked on their own testosterone. That's what this was. I saw it and you could just see, you know, the eyes are spinning, the heads were gone. The thing that Savage did in the first leg, he did it again. When he reached out and grabbed Grealish's hair, I was like, he's got you. Mm-hmm. That's the level you're navigating on. You are about to go out of a Champions League quarterfinal and you're reaching across to a substitute to grab his hair in an argument. You've lost it. Mm-hmm. You've absolutely lost it. There's no strategy to this. There's no plan. There's no like, haha. There's no Chiellini winding somebody up. There's no, you know, example, like I remember watching Juventus against, this is a bit of an old reference, but like mid nineties, right? Juventus play Nantes in the Champions League semi. Juventus marking at corners in the mid nineties in Champions League is a masterclass. The amount of things that are done, <laughs> the amount of things that are done off the ball when Juventus are marking at corners in the mid nineties, you can imagine, you know, you know, you see those cathedrals and you have like angels, like the stone angels covering their eyes with their wings. It's like that. You just can't, the innocent can't bear to witness it. That is elite. That is elite. Like, you know, dark arts defending. That's what we're talking about. What Atleti did was actually, it was actually um, quite stupid. Yeah. It, it was, it was, it was a team that looked for the first time. as like, you know what? People call your tactics out of time. And this is the first time I've looked at it and thought, you need a revamp here. I'd never thought that before seeing this. It felt like they reached into the bag of tricks and there was nothing in there anymore. And yeah, so, you know, a rubber, a rubber snake came out. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you know what it reminded me of a little bit? It was like, you used an amazing analogy once when you were talking about Mourinho, 
And it was like when Pacino started to do the whole like woo thing. Like, oh yeah. And it's just not really scary anymore. Yeah. In this kind of tie against Man City, they weren't smart enough. They weren't. They were fairly close to executing it quite well, even though I don't necessarily agree with all the antics. Mm. They really had City rattled in they a did. way that I've not seen many sides rattle them. City are very, very flexible as well in the terms of like, like I, for example, I, I know a lot of people do talk about it now, but I still, I still think City don't get actually enough credit for how much nous they have in terms of shutting games down. And also when they want to be being a bit gnarly, like Phil Foden rolling back on the pitch, that's nous. That's a little bit of dark arts element. If it had happened the other way around, for example, same position and Atleti player would roll back on the pitch. <laughs> that would have been fucking uproar. Yeah, yeah. But City are a almost like a, a very modern, very pep way of, and obviously with huge resources, whenever they roll that kind of stuff out, you rarely see them lose it. It's channeled in such a controlled way. With Atleti, it's the opposite. Now, I, I was talking to someone about it yesterday and saying that actually though, if you go through the, through the team, they only really ever have like three, maybe four players at one time on the pitch who kickstart that stuff. Mm. If for argument's sake, and I know this is just like, well, yeah, duh. But if they had like Virgil van Dijk and David Alaba playing at the back, right, they wouldn't lose it. No, doesn't happen. No, they're so cool and stuff like that. And they are, they have the controlled shutdown kind of thing. Felipe and Savic quite often Savage, weirdly though, I mean, this is the weird thing. Like Savage didn't make a single foul over the two legs, which is just a wild Yeah, but he stat. kicked, he kicked Foden. Yeah, but well, well, the Foden one, the foul on Foden. I saw that and was just like, that's right there. I read. Yeah. Foden, as, Foden as well was brave. Um, and Foden if was you, brave. If, if, you think, if you think of the playmaking function, like De Bruyne had taken off, Foden mm. had <clears throat> even more creative responsibility. It was funny. I was watching some old YouTube videos of Foden, like, you know, back in the day when he's like, 13, 14 years old. And it's hilarious because he's like half the size of his teammates in the youth team. <laughs> he's like controlling the entire play. And it was a throwback to that actually. Like, you know, Foden basically like not the biggest player, but in terms of mentality, just extremely tough. Mm. Um, and weird enough, the kind of player who Simeone is relying on in the form of João Felix to mm. knit together a team like that. And I suppose, you know, this is the, sort of the tragedy of João Felix that we're never really going to see him well, in, maybe in his prime, in, in a free-flowing attacking team, certainly not at club level, maybe international level, but certainly not at club level. Uh, but yeah, Simeone have questions to answer. And I wonder... Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I think we've said yeah. this before, though, yeah. that maybe maybe it might take a fresh pair of eyes on there. Like, for example, I think we said like a Pochettino. Yeah. You know, Pochettino sides had a lot of that element in there as well. I know that sounds like an Argentinian thing. I'm not saying that at all. But, you know, Spurs had that really clever, gnarly element. The profile of player, yeah, the profile of player at Letty yeah. have is very much in the style of Pochino's. But also um, I Spurs. think he might be able to open them a little bit more in a controlled way. Oh, he'd, he'd use he'd use Cunha a lot more. Yeah, exactly. And I think what Simeone has struggled to do, yeah. weirdly, because the times when it's worked, it's looked really great, but I think what Simeone has really struggled to do is to open up Atleti regularly and keep the control. You know, mm. for example, like they were the second top goal scorers in La Liga this season. They're the third top goal scorers in La Liga this season. So they score goals, you know, but their defensive record has dropped off a cliff this year compared yeah. to what it was over the last few years. So anyway, but also we've talked quite a lot about Atleti, but I think it was just quite good to talk about stuff like that. Cause there's again, much like with the Emery thing, there seem to be like real binary arguments about Atleti. A lot, that's why I thought Miguel's piece was really good in the summary because 
a lot of people are just like, I fucking hate these guys. And to be honest, I totally get it. I totally get why some people might see that stuff, kind of stuff in the Champions League and just absolutely be like, mm. fuck this. If they were playing against a side I supported, for example, I'm not sure how you felt when they played Man United, but if they were rolling this kind of stuff out against a side you'd support, you'd be like, I hate these guys. But I, I think also yeah. having, like, because of the, the the reasons that I mentioned before, where we have, that isn't the only way they play. We think they should do more. It sounds really like fence-sitting nuance nonsense, but... They took us apart in the first leg. They took us apart in the first leg. They outplayed us, Ryan. They outplayed us. Let's be real. Like, they were really, really, really good in that second half towards yeah, the yeah. later stages. So it isn't just this or that. I think the, the problem that they do have is just putting those two together. Even though they, they had a little bit of a wobble, Man City, mm. they dealt with that so well. And they dealt with that thing at the end so well. They knew exactly what was going on. And they dealt with it. Yeah. This was the one though, just before the pandemic broke out, this was the tie that Klopp didn't get through. It was yeah, the tie, yeah. it was the draw he was most afraid of. If City go on and win this whole thing, I bet they look back at this thing, the tie, that was the one that really got them worried. Because everyone knows what Aleti are going to give you over two legs. They gave it to United. It's exactly what they expected. They gave it to City and City withstood it. And that is hugely, that is hugely to their credit, I think. Yeah, totally. I think yeah. from a City point of view, the real fear is the loss to, was it Cancelo and Carl Walker? Big problems. We, we know like when Pep got to, we know how important Pep's fullbacks are to him. Mm. The first season he was at City, his fullbacks couldn't do the work he wanted. And you saw his concern because the way that Carl Walker occupies defensively, like high up the field, the way that he occupies um, the fullbacks in that very, very specific way is so important for how Pep builds attacks because you just lock down that side. It allows you to get involved with the playmaking function mm. from the other flank. So it's a real, um, a real problem for City that could cost them. And De Bruyne went off as well. Um, so we'll see how that all plays out. Yeah, it says uh, Cancelo to miss the semi-final first leg. De Bruyne and Walker also out injured. I think from the left-hand side, uh, while Cancelo is a huge miss, I don't think bringing Sinchenko in there will massively hurt City in terms of dealing with that Real Madrid right-hand side. Mm. It's the left that they worry. So it's the right-hand side for City that they're, they're, they're concerned, they need to be concerned about. I think Cancelo is always a huge miss, but I think in terms of what Real Madrid can offer as a threat down that right-hand side, I think Vinicius and Mondi on the left-hand side is, is a much bigger threat for City to deal with. Yeah. Before we finally move on from this game, let's have a, we had a lot of questions about this game. Sorry, we can't get to all of them. John Squire says, is there a bigger lie in football than, quote unquote, disgraceful scenes no one wants to see? There is no bigger lie because a lot of people wanted to see that. <laughs> there, is a lot of, there was a lot of the sickos meme going around yeah. last night. Uh, one from KKS Jariff about Cancelo and Walker. We've just mentioned that. Andrew Glynn with a little nod to a, a previous Musa Akwonga tweet. Ha ha ha. Was Atleti City a better second half than Madrid Chelsea? Ha 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 ha. And we actually had the same from Alexander Marshall. Was the second half of Atleti City actually a better watch than the second half, maybe plus extra time of Real Madrid-Chelsea? Uh, no. We're going to talk about that game in a sec, so no, oh, wow. I don't. No, no, I, th I, think, I think I love the question. And also I would say Real Madrid-Chelsea gave me all of my vitamins. Yeah, we will all talk about that in a second. Yeah. Uh, Joss Hedge says, is the Wonder the best new stadium in world football? I think it's in a shout for it. I've said Spurs' stadium, Tottenham Hotspur stadium is, wow. is there, but I think those two are are the standard. Actually. And a shout for the Velodrome redesign. Velodrome's not yes. new, but the redesign of Velodrome the redesign is, is good, stunning, yeah. stunning. Any other questions on this? John Lyon said, how has Simeone negotiated such a mad contract? We kind of mentioned, I think it's because of yeah. where he took them from. 
happened to Matt Pennington. Simeone on the pitch to calm Savage down. The most existential moment ever. <laughs> this was genuinely incredible. Absolutely futile act of peacekeeping. Exactly. This is purely performative. Exactly. Jacob Kahn says, please discuss Simeone's next level clapping to the end of the game. So much irony, emotion and appreciation all wrapped together. (laughs) That was like watching someone play guitar with a harmonica and left foot is connected to the cymbal, right foot's connected (laughs) to the bass drum. (laughs) I've got a question. I've I've got a question for you. How significant an act of foreshadowing was Pep coming out in that outfit? Oh, the, uh, the, was, we got yeah. roll neck pep. What, how, how significant that to foreshadowing was that? Dude, those two look like <laughs> two, like, <laughs> you know, Simeone in the all black suit, pep in the all black get up with the roll neck. It was, that was big evil energy from both of them. <laughs> I think that's all the questions from that. All right, let's talk about Real Madrid because they went through against Chelsea despite losing the game. I can't believe that this was going to, this is the last game out of the four that we're covering on it, but that goes to show how good this These ties was. were. I was so excited by the draw. I think I said this actually when the draw was mm. made, that I loved the look of it and I stand by that. Real Madrid oh, two, Chelsea, was Chelsea so three. Close. This is a classic Champions League tie. Absolutely classic. Both legs, yeah. Yeah, it's just unbelievable. The quality that we saw. Can I say this as well? I've been evangelical about this configuration, this attack for Chelsea. I mean, I know they call it a front two. I always say it's a front three with Mount pushing up. Uh, Mount, Havertz, Werner is my favourite Chelsea front three. It's mm. my favourite. And Kante Kovacic is my favourite midfield. So I look at this and just go, I'm already invested. I'm already emotionally invested because I love the way that, that those, those players combine. I have outstanding chemistry. I thought Ruben lost his cheek really did really quite well on that flank. And we know that the Chelsea wingbacks have been a problem. Uh, for them. Yeah, Marcus I think it was Ollie Glanville wrote, t- tweeted saying, you know, the, the reason why people might not think he's doing so well is because he's essentially doing three jobs. Right. And he allows so many other parts of that Chelsea 11 to function. He He's unlucky enough to cheat. Do you know what? Ruben Loss's cheek put in one of the best performances I've seen this season, but um, because it came in the 3-2 defeat to West Ham, it went under the radar. Yeah. But I loved it, the way that he stretched the play, linked the play, intercepted. So him playing on that flank you know, seeing him there, I thought, actually, I like that, given how I've seen him slot in. And be, you know, the word utility player is kind of, the phrase utility player is, it kind of implies a player that's not that good at any one thing, but I think I it's think unfair. we should reframe the utility player as multi-instrumentalist. Thank you. I love that. That's much better. That's much better because then you look at, it accommodates Fabian Delph as well. You know, players that really are so tactically smart, they can execute to a high level. You don't put just anyone on the flank at the Benabeu, especially up against wingers like that, especially Vinicius who's switching flanks and the energy of Valverde. So really creditable start from him. And Chelsea's just, Brian, the intensity, actually. The intensity that Chelsea began with. I mean, should we start at the beginning? Yeah, because let's, let's start at the beginning, yeah. Chelsea were absolutely brilliant in that first half. They were. They were so good. They should have been a couple up before half time, I think, but Mason Mount got a lovely goal. As we mentioned on Monday's show, haircut Mason Mount. Not to be fucked with. As a friend of ours calls him, Money Mace. Money Mace. (laughs) Uh, Assisted by Timo Werner. Who was outstanding. He was brilliant. The last two games, Timo Werner has been superb. We'll talk about his goal in a little bit. Real Madrid 
hate playing against Timo Werner. They do. They, they don't hate, like Timo Werner. They didn't like all. it last year at all. Like they hated it last year. <laughs> yeah. And then Antonio Rudiger with an, another unbelievable header. Three amazing headers in this tie. A fine performance. He one yeah, one he mistake good, one mistake one over mistake. two legs, but a mm. fine performance. But assisted by Mason Mount. Then Marcos Alonso has the goal ruled out for three 0 and this is one of those where it's like lovely finish. It was a great finish, and it's just like, uh, I really hate that these get ruled out, but you that's the rule. Yeah. That's the rule, and it's super clear, and it's yeah, I get it. It's a bit like, well, can we not context? Can we not? contextualize that rule a little bit but you I just don't think you can I think actually having a rule that is so definitive while you will get the odd cruel it was like it was a handball I saw it at the moment I saw it was a handball by the letter of the law yeah. the way that that law is written can't really argue with it even and though it it's did help sucks. with control that's the thing it did help with control I think it's it did the, help uh, an element spiritually not handball but literally handball yeah it was very much so um, but then it didn't really matter because Timo Werner stuck him 3-0 up again anyway mm. with an amazing goal. They, like The commentator on zone called it and Clashus's Timo Werner tour. Oh my God. Lovely. Yes, yes. Can I say this about, um, we're going to get to the denouement at the end of this game, but just before we get to that point, up until this point, I thought that in midfield, Kante's ball progression and Kovacic. Kovacic, I love because he breaks the press like almost no other midfielder in world football. And people forget that the only reason Kovacic did not become a generational midfielder at Real is simply because he had Modric and Cruz in front of him in the queue. There are very, very few midfielders that could have kept him from becoming the player I think he should and could have been at at, um, at Real. It's funny because he was kind of meant to be a kind of Modric replacement, but then Modric didn't age. <laughs> but what was interesting, if you saw that Modric positioning, you can see if Modric is basically happy and gamboling, you call it gallivanting. If Modric is gallivanting, it means the midfield's lost control. And if you look at Modric's positioning in this match, much more circumspect. Mm-hmm. He was like, we have to stay home to deal with the threat. And the moment, there is no coincidence at all, the moment that they gave Modric space in the final third, he offered up the game's most devastating intervention, a devastating intervention that changed momentum. It wasn't the winning goal that he provided. It was the equaliser. But I think everything shifted after that point because Modric became a creative fulcrum. So I think, I actually don't think that Kroos had the worst game in attack. I think he moved the ball forward well. I think defensively he was really stretched. And we saw again, you mentioned actually before, and this is credit for saying this, Ancelotti's subs. Changed the game. Ancelotti's subs. So it happened with Kamavinga. PSG. It happened with PSG, and it happened here. Like yeah. this, the, yeah. the weird thing this time was that Kamavinga came on for Tony Kroos, mm. who really didn't look happy. But afterwards, he can't really have any complaints. No. But then Werner scores. Nor what? could he against. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, nor could he against PSG. And then no. what? Werner scores two minutes later. Later, but mm. in the overall, in the overall sense context, of the game, yes, Kamavinga just injected such a such a much needed freshness and energy and guile in that midfield that I think Real Madrid hadn't really had up to that point. It kind of took them, you know, like the Bernabeu was super quiet, very nervous, and Chelsea was so superior that it kind of took Real Madrid until the 75th minute, maybe just a little bit before, to really start to wake up. I think it was actually, Can I be maybe, honest as maybe well? it, wasn't, it wasn't even really the Alonso goal. Can I be honest? Not the biggest fan of Casemiro's positioning either. No. I think he's really wasted getting that far forward because he doesn't have, 
he doesn't have the attacking guile of Modric. And mm. I, I thought it was really strange watching him. Very often I saw him in the final third and I'm like, you're in the wrong place. Mm. And I think actually tactically, Ancelotti would have looked at that and said, well, to be honest, I'd rather have Casemiro rushing forward like that because it's safer having Modric. Def- Modric is better defensively, weirdly enough, I think, in terms of positional sense. Mm. I'd rather have Modric deep and screening. I mean, we've seen Modric in this Champions League go back. Basically, he's, as often he's been almost in a centre-back position, like mm. he sweeps almost. Do you know what I love? This is the thing about Ancelotti's management of these games. There's a lovely masterclass that you see on, you know, the, the masterclass, the coach's mm. voice masterclasses. And they ask him to, I think Rio Ferdinand's asking him to pick his Dream Eleven, mm. And he goes for Modric over Seydorf. And Ferdinand's face is like, Modric, really? And you watch these ties and you understand why. He is like the WD-40 of Real Madrid's midfield. And I think Casemiro is a tough one because I don't think he was that impressive going forward, but it was kind of like the best possible fit. And Ancelotti is a master at, especially in knockout ties, best fit. Um, and like we said before, like Kamavinga coming in really just liberated Modric. And it was the first time in 70 minutes Modric was allowed to have fun. And he was allowed to have fun for what? Half a second? He got possession, he looked up and he had fun outside of the right foot, the pass that he hit, I think Sid Lowe said later, I'm struggling to think of a better pass than Modric's. And mm. I have to say, for the timing, the technique and the context of what he did, I struggle to think of a better individual pass at that level. Do you know what I mean? In terms of the timing, the execution, the difficulty, and what it meant in terms of the momentum, because the finish by Rodrigo, which was outstanding, and he's again, a great sub for, you know, not the first time he's been a great sub for Real Madrid, won't be the last the finish that he produced from that outstanding pass shifted the whole balance of the game. Uh, the other thing that shifted the balance majorly was the substitution of Timo Werner mm. for Pulisic. Now, I absolutely hope that was an essential substitution by Tuchel. I hope Werner had to go off because if he didn't, I think it counts as a major mistake. I don't like to criticise Tuchel because his coaching is just, you know, exemplary. I will say that the threat that Pulisic offered you felt the intensity just drop after he left. And then Pulisic missed an outstanding chance deep in injury time. Yeah, and say this he like that other one off. as well, didn't he? But, but the, the, the Pulisic chance, you know, mm. we've said this before, like Pulisic's career could have turned on two major moments in the Champions League. One was the 2-0 to seal the Champions League final. They won it anyway. But this could be another major moment, which is a sliding doors moment because Pulisic absolutely should have scored that. Mm. A player of his technique and his speed and his timing. That's the win. And it, it's weird, didn't get that much discussion actually after the game, strangely enough, um, because I think it was sort of, you know, drowned out by the Benzema goal, which yeah. was the one mistake Rudiger made over two legs, which was the slip. Mm. Rudiger slips. I hesitate to call it a slip mistake. I hesitate to call it. It's not. What I will say is Vinicius, again, that combination, it's so funny. If someone said to you two years ago, Vinicius Benzema would be the crucial combination for Real, given how Benzema was talking about Vinicius. You'd have laughed. Speaking of Vinicius, he tweeted at Reese James after the game saying, like, great game, bro, good luck. Loved it. I tweeted at half time that after, like, I thought Reese James was really harshly booked for that one in the first half on Vinicius. Mm. But the way that he defended Vinicius after that was yeah. absolutely elite. Can I compare it to something? It's like when Ashley Cole yeah. got done by Cristiano Ronaldo and thereafter knew exactly what he was doing. Like yeah. Reese James really, in the rest of that first half, he shut down that right flank to such an extent that Vinicius had to, you saw Vinicius drift out to the right-hand side, I think in the second half mm. a little bit because he just really wasn't getting anything from Reese James. Getting no change at all, yeah. And if you yeah. think about it, Vinicius Jr., 
going up against a right back who's already been booked in the first, what, like 10 minutes of the game, you're like, uh-oh. And Reese James was so good. So good. But I also think this leads into a little bit what you were saying about Ruben Loftus-Cheek. I think the work that he did down that Chelsea right-hand side as well, mm. I think helped Reese James out quite a lot. And I think that really worked in minimising the Real Madrid left. Like we talked about it, that that's where Manchester City, that's going to be the most dangerous thing for Manchester City to, to deal with in terms of the flanks with the missing fullbacks. The left-hand side is definitely the one but Chelsea, I thought, did amazingly well at that. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Chelsea had the chances to win this game. The fact that they were so commanding in Real Madrid's backyard after seeing what Real Madrid have done to teams in the Champions League this season, it's not going to make them feel any better. Mm. But they can take such a huge amount of credit from that. I don't know. This is one of those like heroic defeats in a way because it's. Yeah. There's no such thing as a good defeat, no. but there are better defeats than others. Pep wanted no part of Chelsea over two legs. You can guarantee that. But I mean, what a game of football and what a tie as a spectacle. You could argue the last two, the last two ties, Real have been, for the majority of both ties, the lesser side. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And they found the resolve to hang in there. They're like those sides that end up in the NBA finals and they've only actually outscored the opponent in like one quarter Per match. Do you know what they're like? They're like the early 2000s Detroit Pistons. Like, well, maybe that's Atleti, no? Or that, they the late hard, actually, Yeah, Atleti, Atleti's a bit, actually, that's a bit hard to call Detroit because they've got more attacking tools than, yeah. than Detroit in 2004. Um, and that, yeah, it's true. This team is not built primarily on defence. So that's no. slightly unfair on this rail team. Yeah, they've been in both the, the round of 16 and the quarterfinals for the majority of the tie. They haven't mm. been the best side, but yet they're still through to the semifinals. And this is very reminiscent, I think, of. I think in less dramatic fashion, maybe from as memory serves me, but that run of the three back to back where mm. you're like, how are they here? It must feel similar to Modric and Benson. And the thing is now, you, when you have Alibert in the mix, who's someone who's done that, mm. this is now where championship pedigree, and it's an overused phrase, I think, but the pedigree starts to come through. Mm. The game management and the understanding of having been here before, this stuff all starts to really matter, I think. Mm. It starts to really matter. But yeah. Great tie. Amazing round of Champions League. Yeah. Um, no notes. No, no notes. further notes. There we go. And we're recording this ahead of a, the second legs in the Europa League, which I'm very, very much looking forward to. Sure. Obviously, Eintracht going to Barcelona after that amazing first leg performance. All square in that one. All square in Leon and West Ham. Braga taking a 1-0 lead to Rangers. And all square in the Atalanta-Leipzig tie as well. So they, all of those are extremely finely balanced and then in the conference league you've got probably the best new rivalry in world football which is Roma Bodo Glimt oh my god amazing <laughs> three all in Slavia Prague and Feyenoord uh, Pauk hosting Marseille being 2-0 down in, in, in uh, sorry 2-1 down in the tie and then PSV hosting Leicester it's 0-0 they're all all of them are set up European football is amazing it's just a shame that UEFA have decided to fuck around with the Champions League and change something that wasn't broken. But yes. still, we move, we move. Other news, Eric Ten Hag has apparently agreed a deal in principle to take over as Manchester United manager, but we're going to deal with that when it's all been made official because there's way too much to get through at the moment without that. There is indeed. All right then, in that case, shall we bounce, Musa? Let's do it. Uh, we hope everyone's staying safe and well. Obviously getting vaccinated if you can. Don't forget to check Brighty's house. Don't forget to check theringer.com. Don't forget to check the Stadio out. Just play us on Spotify. Speaking of which, we're playing out on Premonition. 
track called Don't Act Like a Fool, especially when you're chasing a Champions League tie. Exactly. Exactly that. <laughs> Anything you want to add me, Sokonga? Yeah, just less savage, more Modric. <laughs> 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 If you're chasing any dreams, less savage, more moderate. That's all I'm saying. That's wow. all I'm saying. Wow. All right, everyone. Much <laughs> love. Have a lovely weekend. We'll be back on Monday. Yeah. See you then. Finally lost your cool